Thank you. And good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming to church. Thank God for Woodland Hills. This is a great place. I am so grateful for what this is all about. I get to go to a lot of churches. I'm in a different church almost every Sunday. Do not practice this at home. I get to be. You don't get to be. But I thank God for this place. I was only here once back in 1998, but have followed the ministry, and it's a privilege to be included in these meetings this weekend, and I appreciate your invitation. Thanks for being yourself. Thanks for being willing to risk a little bit so that you can touch this world for God. We do not need any more religious institutions. But we do need some people who are willing to step out of what is often controlled by political correctness. Folks, it's not only in the political world we have political correctness, it's in the theological world. And I have traveled in the body of Christ worldwide for the last 35 years, and I can tell you, you, may, you are vulnerable when you deviate from what is accepted by certain people. And I just want to commend you for being willing to be radical for God so that you can manifest God's character in the earth, God's nature in the earth, so that you can manifest the Word of God in its fullness and touch the needs of humanity. Because we've had church here for 2,000 years, folks, but we've still got a few billion out there who are messed up. Let's touch them. Amen? And so Woodland Hills is, is a place that I think is fantastic. And thank God for your leadership. you got some great leaders. I've met quite a few of them and, of course, read what your senior pastor writes. And it's vital, absolutely vital, cutting edge, groundbreaking, risky, but vital for reaching the world. I want to refer this morning to uh, Colossians chapter 1 and Psalm 96. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for his sake, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have got to be an idiot to rejoice when people suffer. Do you hear what he said in verse 24? I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Hey, Woodland Hills, somebody suffered for this thing to go. Did you know that? Somebody stayed up late. Somebody's put in some energy. Somebody has taken some disappointments and some hits and some rejection and some misunderstanding. 
You heard the pastor say a few minutes ago, this is, the, this is the way life is. We go through hurts. This is a fallen world. This is a rebellious world. This is an unjust planet. And we're going to go through some disappointments. Raise your hand if you've never been misunderstood. So Paul recognizes that, and the Bible recognizes the reality that this is not going to heaven on an air-conditioned pillow. So he said, I'm willing to go through whatever I have to go through, and I'm glad you've gone through some stuff. Because it's for a good cause. It's for His body, the church. And what the Bible's really trying to say here is, you're going to be rejected for something, why not this? You're going to take some hit from something, why not this? He said, I become the servant of the church. We often think of the church serving us. What about us serving the church? What about us making this work, folks? It is worth serving. It is worth going through whatever you go through. It is worth any pain. You're going to go through pain for something, why not the church? Amen? You know why it's worth it? Because we're the only hope of glory. Christ in you, the only hope of glory. And this is not the singular you. In English, we only have a one-second person pronoun, you, or unless you're from the South, y'all. But in Greek and Spanish and other languages, you have a singular you and the plural you, and this is the plural. Christ in y'all. Christ in corporate you is the only hope of glory. God is not glorified by you being a, a great individualistic Christian. Sorry, folks. God is only glorified if you get it done, if you make it happen, if this corporateness of Christian community doesn't work, folks, the world is out of hope. We have got to make this work. We have got to, with our differences and with our different opinions and with our hurting one another, misunderstanding one another and all of that, get along and make it happen so that the world has some hope of glory. Amen? And I want to tell you, since September the 11th, what we believe in and what we try to get done in a thing called church has been popularized. The Bible talks of a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I've always wondered, what in the world does that mean? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord can cover the whole earth. I caught a glimpse of it on September the 11th, folks. We went in 24 hours from our heroes being Harvard professors, corporation executives, ball players, supermodels, movie stars, to being New York City fire people and policemen. People who would serve and volunteer. We went to generosity. We went to a, 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 an understanding of justice being done. These are kingdom principles. This is the stuff we exist for, church. We can no longer, since September the 11th, just believe and attend. We have got to get to the, head of, uh, to the front of this parade and start doing kingdom principles. Being the ones who volunteer. Being the ones who are willing to lay their lives down. Being the ones who are willing to embrace and tolerate and care and help and give and be generous. 
The early church was a place where if they had need, they sold things if necessary. It was like a sacrament. Come on, folks, we're a caring, committed community. And that's why we're the only hope of glory. Amen? I heard so much from TV commentators during those days after September 11th. The world will never be the same. And I thought to myself, and may the church never be the same. Because, folks, if we don't start doing and being what New York City firemen and policemen were, we're going to be irrelevant. That's our stuff. That's kingdom principles. That's biblical principles. That's the book of Acts. Let's be that. It's worth every pain. It's worth going through whatever you have to do to serve the body so that we can serve the world because we're the only hope of glory. I heard from TV commentators more than I've heard in church in the last year. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays life down for his friends. Some of them didn't even know what they were quoting. As they say, greater love has no man than this. And folks, that's our guy that said that. That's the spirit that's in you right now if you're a believer. The spirit of the one who not only said it but did it, laid his life down on a cross. That's the spirit you're of. That is the Christian spirit. we got to live out of that spirit. This is not about believing and attending. This is about moving in the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ is, Greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life. For his friends. Come on, folks. That's what we're called to do. Lay down our lives for each other and for this dirty old world. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world that through me the world might be saved. Why do we think it's our job to condemn the world? Jesus came to save the world. The religious Pharisees were aloof from the world. Jesus immediately goes to a wedding feast. Did his first miracle in a social social gathering. Some of us wonder what Jesus was even doing that party. We think he should have been home praying. Your founder went to a party to do his first miracle. Get it? Your founder went to a woman at the well where a Jewish man only went for immoral purposes. And Jesus knew that and went there anyway. Still want to be a Christian? Come on, folks. Jesus Christ hobnobbed with children. Something Pharisees would never do. Had women to be a part of his traveling team, including a former prostitute. Still want to follow this guy? Where did we ever learn to sit in rows and listen to a, you listen to a man make a speech through a microphone? This is about hanging out. This is about serving. This is about identifying. He ate with sinners. He didn't come to condemn that, but through him the world might be saved. That's why it's worth serving this thing, making it happen. That's why the powers of darkness are continually trying to divide the church and make the church religious and irrelevant. Don't sucker into it, folks. Go through it. Don't quit. Don't get offended. Don't back off. Don't be so easily hurt. It's worth every pain. Paul says, for it's for his body, the church, which is the only hope of glory. Now, you may have noticed we are fresh out of glory in this society. There's not a lot to be glorious. 
That's why we jumped at what happened with these policemen and fire people and volunteers in New York City. Is because we said, yeah, that's what I believe in. Yeah, that's what I'm willing to give money to. People that are willing to serve and lay their life down. It became the thing to do. And it's a biblical principle. It's a kingdom principle. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. Unsaved people were moving in the spirit of Christ more than some of us who were saved. Let's get to the head of this parade, folks. It's our parade. That's our stuff. Well, what is this glory that we're to be the hope of? What is the, this glory that the knowledge of which is going to cover the earth? What does that mean? I was saying one time, as I often say in religiousness, like some of the rest of us, glory to God. And I felt God say, okay, I'm ready. I'll take some. We give you glory, Lord. He goes, that would be nice. <laughs> I'm ready whenever you are. Glory to God. We give you glory, Lord. Be glorified. We sing stuff like that and say stuff like that. We have no idea. We don't even stop to think, is he? Is he? Is he being glorified? In your life, in your family, in your home, in your, at work, in here this morning, with what I'm doing, am I glorifying God? I'm loud. I preach long. <laughs> I know some Bible verses. I travel a lot, got a lot of frequent flyer miles. Does this glorify God? What does glory mean? Let's turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, verse 1. What is this glory that we're to be the hope of? If we're going to glorify God, we ought to know what it is. Psalm 96, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the other gods of the nations are just idols and pieces of wood and stone and stuff. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord... Glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Glory to God. We give you glory, Lord. Be glorified. What is that? How do you do that? Well, glory first of all, is a manifestation of your essence, of your nature. The Bible predicted that in the last days, some people would be people whose glory would be their shame. Well, it sure got that right, didn't it? The word glory really means famous. Whatever you're famous for is your glory. So here are people who the most, they are most famous for something shameful. And the Bible predicted whose glory will be their shame. 
So if we're going to glorify this God, we've got to manifest the essence of who He is. What's our God famous for? What's the essence of His nature? Well, look at verse 2. Sing, sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Do you know how what glorifies God? Proclaiming salvation. This is a different kind of God, folks, than all the other gods. Do you know why? Because He's a saving one. This is not just a God to be believed in. This is not just a God to be sacrificed to. We don't leave bowls of fruit around. We don't just go to the temple to make a sacrifice to this God. This is a God who helps us. Do you realize how different this is? This God wants to benefit you. He's not wanting you to grovel. He's a Redeemer God. He came to a lost world and loved it so much He gave His only begotten Son. God's not demanding something from us. He gave something to us. This is a different sort of a God. Every other God out there, you've got to bow and scrape and fear lest your crops don't grow. This is a God who came down from heaven and became a human and died on a cross and laid His life down so He could save people. He's not here to condemn people. He's here to save people. Jesus Christ said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to not to be served, but to serve and give my life. That's our spirit. This is a God who can change you. The powers of darkness have maneuvered the church over and over and over through church history for 2,000 years into a thing where we just attend and believe. And we stop having confidence to tell people, this God can make your life different. Don't let the powers of darkness maneuver you into into an unbelief that you don't have confidence to look any human in the eye and say, God can change whatever's wrong with you and make you a new person. Jesus Christ died on a cross, folks, to smash sin, to smash selfishness, to smash the powers of darkness, and to smash whatever ails you. Are you with me here? Come on, folks, what good is it for us to just have church? What good is it for us just to believe in Jesus? We glorify God when we go out there and tell somebody, whatever's wrong with you, this God can make a difference. He's a Redeemer kind of God. This is Jehovah. You know what Jehovah means? The one who saves. You will call His name Jesus because He will what? Save people from their sins. He's not just going to give people ideas. He's not just going to give people a philosophy. He didn't come here to start a religion. He came here to make you new. To forgive you. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To heal you. To set you free. Jesus said, the Spirit of God is on me because I'm able to do stuff. I bind up broken hearts. I liberate those that are hurt and bruised. Come on, folks, if we don't just believe in this, get out of here with your Greek thinking that just believes in. Folks, we don't believe in, only we have it happen. We experience change. Amen? If you're in this place this morning and you need change, Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection from the dead is all that it takes. Amen? Proclaim His salvation day after day. Don't ever be ashamed that in a loving, appropriate, and wise way and time 
to share with somebody what's wrong with you, Jesus can make different. He can renew you. He can regenerate you. He can justify you before God. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He can make you an overcomer. You can stand, we sang a while ago. You can stand. We get so convinced that because our lives often aren't changed that nobody else's can be changed. So we never preach. We never preach because we think, well, you know, I'm struggling myself, so who am I to preach to anybody else? Folks, it's nothing to do with, with you. It has something to do with the power of the changer God. This glorifies Him. Just knowing He exists doesn't necessarily glorify Him. Just knowing there's a thing called Christianity and a thing called church doesn't necessarily glorify Him. Just attending meetings and believing in Him doesn't necessarily glorify Him because He is to have His essence manifested, which is the salvation, the delivering power of this God. Folks, if you're in this place this morning and you need change, I don't know where else to send you except to this almighty, sovereign, creator God. The God who created humans in the first place can recreate us. And if any person be in Christ, they are a what? New creation. Old things are gone. All things become new. Don't stop until you got that because that's why Jesus suffered and bled on the cross. Declare His fame, His glory. Have a look at verse 3. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all the people. Do you know what glorifies God? Marvelous deeds. Marvelous deeds. Because glory not only means fame, it means credit. We often say in Christian circles, we want God to have all the glory. What does that mean? We want Him to have all the credit. Hey, listen, folks, if we can get this done because of our education and our intelligence and our good planning and our ability to fundraise and our ability to carry it off because of our talents, then God gets zero glory. But if we can't get this done unless God shows up, then He gets the glory. The way to glorify God is to live in a way so that He is the only explanation for your life. But we don't want to do that as human beings. We say, well, God, uh, I'm not going to bother you. I can, I'm going to carry this myself. I'm going to get this done myself. I'm going to figure this out myself. That's human nature. We think we're inconveniencing God. We pray prayers like, Lord, if you'll get me out of this scrape, I won't bother you again for a year. We hear preachers saying, God gets sick and tired of you bringing your shopping list to Him. No, He doesn't, folks. Read the Bible. God always stacked the deck against us. He always brought them to Red Seas where they were dead meat unless God showed up. He sent out teenagers in front of giants. He let people go into lion's dens. He sent Jonathan and his armor bearer out against 30,000. He had Gideon send everybody home except 300. God always made it impossible. He wants... It to be impossible. Don't think you're inconveniencing Him. People come to me all the time at the end of services and say, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm such a mess. God loves messes. God's not going, Oh no, are you still a mess? 
God God will actually let you get into a mess so He can get glory. Quit being ashamed if you're a mess. <laughs> Quit getting ashamed you need God. Do you know what we want to do? We want to know the Word, have faith, be mature in Christ, grow in the Lord, so we won't need the Lord. Come on, folks, we want to know, we want to know the Word so much and have enough faith that we won't need the Lord. And God's whole thing is depend on me. I'm not inconvenienced. I want to come down. Live in a way that unless God shows up, you're dead meat. That's the way He gets glory. Let the people of this society say the only reason they're still married is God. But we're embarrassed. The only reason their kids are still alive is God. But we're embarrassed. We want to come from a good family. We want to have had it be from our heritage. God doesn't get any glory if it's from your heritage. But if He's the only one that could change you, and He's the only one who could make it right, and He's the only one that could keep you together, and He's the only explanation for Woodland Hills Church, then He gets the glory. Quit trying to make it happen yourself. Keep obeying God, stepping beyond, stepping in faith. Obeying Him. This whole thing got started when a guy called Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. We call that crisis management today. We call that irresponsible today. But folks, we didn't even have Jews until an Iraqi obeyed God. It's the only nation in history that's been birthed by an act of obedience and faith. The Israeli race came from a man obeying God. Willing to go out beyond. Willing to go not knowing where He was going. God loves that stuff. He has covenanted to be with people who will take risks, who will step beyond, who will trust Him. The most angry God ever got in Scripture was in Numbers 13 where He sent 12 spies into the Promised Land. Ten of them came back and gave a true report. The Bible calls an evil report. Somebody ought to write a book on this called The Day God Got Angry Because Ten Men Told the Truth. They didn't lie. They didn't overestimate. They didn't underestimate. They were realists. They said, these enemies are here and these enemies are here and there's these enemies here and the cities are heavily fortified and there's giants up in the, in the mountains and we can't, ha- we can't hack it. We can't make it. We're not going to be able to do it. It's not responsible to take our kids in there. And God swore in His wrath. You know why? Because they wouldn't trust Him. They wouldn't let Him glorify Himself in the earth by coming down and routing their enemies. God loves the impossible. He loves that you're in a dilemma. He loves that you can't work it out yourself. He loves to come down and be the explanation and be the only one. Trust Him. Depend on Him. Don't be afraid of any enemies of any size out there. Because God gets angry when you won't go in and take on the enemies. He wants to overthrow them for you and will do it if you'll trust Him. Some friends of mine in a small team came out of Russia into a place called Kazakhstan. 
Okay, we're witnessing on the streets, telling people about Jesus, preaching on the streets of the capital city of Kazakhstan, and they were arrested by the police because the police chief of this particular city was an atheist who hated Russians because he was a Kazakh and felt that he had been oppressed by Russians during the Soviet Union days. He hated religious people because he said, I don't believe in God and I'm not going to have religion preached. So he had these people arrested, threw them into jail, brought them out in the middle of the night, interrogated them, didn't let them sleep, threatened them with guns to their head, touched these girls in ways they shouldn't have been touched, roughed them up. This went on for several days, and finally he brought this beautiful 23-year-old Russian girl who was the leader of this team into his office in the police station, threw her down in a chair, and said, Today you die. I hate religious people. I'm not going to have religious people here. And you are going to disappear, and your parents will never know what happened to you. i got a firing squad out back right now getting ready to shoot you. Do you have anything to say? She had been unmoved outwardly in these days of being roughed up and touched and various things. And she just looked at him, knowing now that she's probably going to die in a few minutes. She looked at him and she said, you know what your problem is? When you were three years old, this happened to you. And when you were six, this happened to you. When you were 12, when you were 15. And she just began to read this guy's mail and tell him about his life. He starts to cry. Who have you been talking to? Who told you this stuff? How did you know these things about me? She said, well, God told me. Which not only means that God exists, He likes you. The guy began to sob like a baby, so much so that he fell out of his chair on his knees in the police station, in his office, and gave his life to Jesus Christ, and now he's a pastor over five churches in that city. I told this at a pastor's conference, and one of the pastors said, See, God knows how to punish people. He makes them into pastors. And the only thing you can say after hearing a story like that is, Glory to... God, because if God hadn't come down, folks, they would have been killed. They weren't killed, and that guy is now overseeing churches because God came down. God loves that stuff. Come on, folks, live in a way where God has to show up, and He's the only explanation. That way, He gets the glory. Don't be ashamed of needing God. Don't be ashamed of asking for prayer. Don't be ashamed that your life is messed up. God loves that stuff. He seeks out those kind of people. And we're all that kind of people in one way or another. Is that right? Raise your hand if you don't need God. <laughs> Look at verse 8. Psalm 96, verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. How do you glorify His name? Glorify your name in all the earth. That's the only singing I will do here. Say, thank you, Lord. How do you do that? What does that mean? Glorify your name. Well, name has to do with reputation. Have you ever heard somebody say that guy doesn't have a very good name in this town? He doesn't pay his bills? Name is reputation. Name is character. So to glorify his name in all the earth, we've got to make him look good. We've got to manifest his character. In our behavior, something we have not always done as a church. What kind of a name does God have in this town? What kind of a name does God have where you work? I think I know because I heard some people in your town using that name. You ever heard that? Jesus Christ! God! 
Do you know what that shows you? What kind of a name God has in this society. So what's our job, church? Change that. Give him a good name. Manifest his character. In Exodus 33, Moses and God were having a little leadership conference. Moses said, God, lead your people up. God said, they're not my people, they're your people, Moses. He said, no, God, I think they're your people. And God said, no, they're your people. And Moses said, well, I think they're your people. And so they decided to do it together. And Moses said, okay, I'll lead them, but I'm not going unless your presence goes with me. God said, it's a deal. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said, Exodus 33, Show me your glory, Lord. And the Bible records, And God allowed His goodness to pass in front of Moses. He asked for glory. He got goodness. The way we glorify His name is to let the goodness of God pass in front of people. Folks, we have, start, we have got to be nice. We've got to be kind and tender-hearted and, and gentle. This is the goodness of God. We've got to lay our lives down. We've got to be people who forgive, who let it go, who are forbearing. What are we doing, church? Writing books against each other. We burned each other at the stake in the name of Jesus. We've held the Anabaptists under the water until they drowned. We've had standing armies as a church that went out to kill heretics. At one stage, you could be killed if you owned a Bible. Wycliffe and Tyndale were both persecuted by the church. Come on, church. This is not the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, forbearing one another, kindness, gentleness, patience, bound all together in a thing called love. Come on, we need to be the most loving, giving, serving, tolerating, embracing, inclusive people on this planet. Say, well, sounds to me like you're telling us we need to compromise some biblical truth. Why, does that, why do we always think that love means to compromise? Folks, who tells us to love one another? Everybody say God and the Bible. There is nothing more biblical than loving one another. So why do we think we're being unbiblical when we love? Who tells us not to compromise truth and holiness? Say God and the Bible. Are they schizophrenic? Say no. So can we do both? Folks, you don't have to compromise truth and holiness to love. And there's more about loving and getting along and unity than any other thing in the Scripture. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, the glory we had in the beginning, the glory we had in the beginning, I have given to them, that they may be one in us. What was the glory they had in the beginning? There was no creation yet. There's no flowers. There's no planets. There's no things that glorify God in what is created. The glory they had in the beginning is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could be so unified they're one God. The glory we had in the beginning, Father, I have given to them that they may be one in us. 
Folks, the same act that makes you one with God makes you one with me. And all you have to do to have unity is just not bring anything to the table that destroys that oneness that God set up. You don't have to try to be unified. Just don't bring anything that destroys what God set up already. Maintain the unity. Folks, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How many of you have ever prayed for revival? There will be no revival until we get along. Come on, folks, listen, where do I get that? Jesus Christ, our founder, said, by this shall all men know. Would that be a good enough revival for you, all men know? How many of you could stand a little all men know? Isn't that why we're in business church, that all men know? Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, make them one so the world will know. How, how would that suit you as a good result for being church? The world will know. But that do you. How are we going to get the world to know that He is the one that was sent? By loving. By being unified. If the Bible says be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, that means there's going to be some things to forgive. Right? So of course things are going to happen. But we've got to be nice, loving, embracing, inclusive, serving, caring. A team of some of my friends came into a West African country of Benin next to Nigeria. They went to the born-again president of Benin who has asked Christians to come from all over the world and help build his country. Did you know there are many countries in the world that have asked us to come and help build their country? And only a trickle of Christians are doing it because I don't know what it is we're so interested in, fighting over theology or something. East Timor, the newest nation on this planet, East Timor, has asked Christians to come and help build. They don't have a constitution. They don't have an infrastructure. They don't have a business community. They don't have an economy because it was all destroyed in the Civil War. And humanists from the United Nations are in there to the tune of 12,000. Come on, Christians, we could, be, we could be developing a nation from ground up based on biblical principles. we got lots of opportunity to do that. Anyway, these guys went to the born-again president of Benin and said, Hey, we want to help your country. Tell us where your worst province was, because they were a community development team. He didn't even hesitate. He mentioned a province over next to the Nigerian border. And, he, and they went in there, and sure enough, it was the worst province. Over 50% infant mortality. Over half the babies died. Not one drop of clean water in the entire province, so people were filled with parasites, filled with worms, and were dying like flies, and their life expectancy was in the 30s. It was a poor soiled area, so they were dying of malnutrition. Lots of malnutrition and starvation in the area. So these... This team got together the church, the pastors, and leading members of congregations. They had to introduce them and have a time of reconciliation because some of these pastors had never met and didn't like each other. So they got the church together in unity and they taught them for six months community development principles. They went out and started medical clinics. They went out and did agricultural projects to teach people what would grow. They did water projects to clean up the water. They immunized babies. They set up places of birthing. And now in that province, there's not one drop of dirty water. Now it's less than 5% infant mortality. 95% of the babies make it. 
There is no more malnutrition because they've taught them what to grow and what to eat so that they can be nourished properly. And now, for the first time in history, the Muslims who have for hundreds of years persecuted the Christians in that particular province have come to the Christians and said, Can you tell us more about Jesus? Because we thought Jesus was just an alternate religion. Now we find out Jesus is cleaning up our water, and Jesus is saving our babies, and Jesus is teaching us what to eat so we don't starve. Can you tell us more about Jesus? And the only thing you can say after hearing a story like that is glory to God, because His goodness has passed in front of those people. Folks, it's happening worldwide. It's happening in Maplewood and St. Paul right now from this very place. I was talking to Mary, who's the pastor or the leader in charge of their caregiving here. Come on, folks, get it going. Get all of the care going. This is what the church was in the book of Acts. If anyone had need, we sold things if we had to to meet their need. That's part of being church biblically. And I tell you, if we let the goodness of God pass in front of people in this city, they will buy into Jesus like crazy. Having church, attending and believing is never going to cut it, but serving will. Let His goodness pass in front of them. Have a look at verse 6. Psalm 96, verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength. Everybody say strength. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Do you know what glory is? The manifestation of God's presence in the gathering of His people. God wants to manifest something tangible, real, and experiential. You remember the time in Solomon's temple in the Old Testament? They built this temple and then they had a dedication meeting. And it says in the Bible, in the dedication meeting, the glory of God fell so strongly in the temple, the priests could not stand up. Do you know the Greek word for glory? One of the meanings of the Greek word for glory means heavy. Folks, glory is not just a theological concept. Glory is some actual substantial stuff that's heavy, that comes down in God, the gathering of God's people. Remember the time when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to make a, if we now call the Mount of Transfiguration? Wave at me if you've ever heard this story, Mount of Transfiguration. Wave at me if you own a Bible. Wave at me if you're not too tired of preachers saying, how many of you? <laughs> how many of you are sick and tired of preachers saying, how many of you? <laughs> Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on this mountain, and he says, hey, just in case you guys don't know who you're dealing with yet, have a look at this. Well, we're not sure exactly how he did it, but it says, I did see a movie one time where I got to thinking maybe that was it, but I don't know. But what we do know is what the biblical record says. It says, he was transfigured before them, which I have no idea what that means, and his glory shone out. So something that was under the skin of this carpenter's son from Nazareth is now shining outside the skin. He didn't get it just when they went up on the mountain. He just manifested it on the mountain. And the disciples, particularly Peter, said, Oh, man, this is so cool. 
We're going to build three tabernacles and stay up here. We're going to start the International Church of the First Glory and be the bishops. And Jesus said, nope, we're going back down the mountain. Now, we've got the church divided over this right now. We've got half the church won't go up that mountain. They think it's stupid. Who needs all that bless me club manifestation emotionalism stuff? Man, you don't need that stuff. I just need to believe right. Have right things in my head. Go out and help people. Don't need all that bless me stuff. Now we got the other half of the church that won't come down from that mountain. They just say, oh man, we got to stay. Another conference, another seminar. Can't get out of this. I just need to. I'm driving 500 miles to get some more. Well, I'm not a particularly intelligent man. Say amen. <laughs> Best response I've gotten all morning. But it seems to me like Jesus is trying to preach us a two-point sermon right there. Point number one, it's important to go up that mountain. So if you think it's not important to go to the gathering of God's people where He manifests His glory, then Jesus disagrees with you. But point number two, it's important to go down that mountain. Knowing that when you're out there in the middle of hell, out there in the middle of rejection, out there in the middle of temptation, that there's something greater in you than he that's within the world. Folks, we need to be in the place of gathering. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I will be. No, you can't just serve God in your own living room. Sorry, folks. God blesses gathering. You know why? Because he wants the safety of body life. He wants us to serve one another and to, and to minister to one another and to be strengthened with fellowship. And so He has told us we are a part of team. The same thing that relates you to God, I said, relates you to each other. We're parts one of another. We need each other. Like body parts need other body parts. Go to the place of gathering. Go to the place of God's presence. Strength and glory are in your sanctuary. My presence will go with you, He told Moses, and I will give you what? Rest. Do you realize that everything we sang in the worship time has to do with the points of this message? Glory to God. God is talking. And I did not have any kind of interface with the worship team or they with me. That proves again that God is on top of this, that He's doing something. He gets the glory in that kind of stuff. He loves that. And the last song we sang this morning was about My presence will go with you and I will give you Rest, strength, and glory are in His sanctuary. Folks, don't disdain the meeting in God's presence where His power and presence and glory manifests itself. Because we need to tank up on that more than we ever have tanked up in this day of stress, in this day of economic uh, fear. We need it more than we've ever needed it, folks. Presence of God, glory of God in the sanctuary. But be willing to go back down the mountain knowing that when you're not feeling zip, that the glory wasn't on the mountain at all. The glory was in the man and the man's in you. And the righteousness within is greater than the temptation without. Amen? 
The acceptance within is greater than the rejection without. But you've got to be convinced of that in the presence of God. Let's stand together, shall we please? I'd like to pray a prayer with you. Would you like to pray? I'd like you to make some confession this morning because that's the way we pass from death unto life is we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. So if you believe what I'm confessing to you this morning and leading you in this morning, confess it. If you agree with it, confess it out. It becomes power. If you're not a Christian in this place this morning, if you've got things in your life that you don't want and you want to turn away from, confess with the rest of us and you will, you will access the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and you can be transformed standing where you are. Are you ready? Say, thank you, God. It's worth every pain. It's worth every rejection. Whatever I have to go through to make church work, I am willing, I am committed to serve your body, to serve the people in the body, to be part of team, because we're the only hope of glory. I will declare your salvation. You're a changer, God. You're a redeemer. Wherever I've gotten to, as low as I can go, as messed up as I can be, You can change me. Change me, Lord. Deliver me. Set me free. Make me a new creature. Give me eternal life. Wash me clean. Make me strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I receive that. That's why you died. That's why you rose again. To make people different. Deliver me from the dominion of darkness. And establish me in the kingdom of your Son. Be my refuge and my strength. My fortress. My shield and defender. Thank you God that you're a Savior. I don't just believe in you. You save me. You protect me. You're on my side. You care for me. And you send your angels to stand around me. I receive that. I will declare it with confidence to anybody that God can change them. I will live in a way that you get the glory. I will live in a way that takes risk, that obeys your voice, that steps out in faith, believing that you will come to the party, that you specialize in things that are impossible. I don't think that I'm inconveniencing you. You have always set it up so that you had to do it. So I will live that way. I will serve and be nice and kind and gentle, lay my life down, care for people, let it go, forgive, embrace, serve. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to let your goodness, I'm going to let your goodness pass in front of this world so that they will see my good works 
and glorify You. See my good works and glorify You. I'm going to be good, God. I receive grace to be good, to be nice, to be a servant, to be patient, to be kind, to be generous, to be inclusive. I will go as much as I can to the mountain of Your glory and soak up and tank up on Your glory and Your presence and You will give me rest. That's Your promise, God. Strength and glory are in Your sanctuary. I will go down the mountain with confidence that greater is He that's within me than anything in the witchcraft, anything in the New Age, anything at work, anything that's evil. I got something greater. And having done everything, I can stand. I can stand. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'll be weak if you'll be strong. And you will be strong in me and through me as I wait in your presence. Now, Father, I pray for all of my friends in this room in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray, Father, convince our minds that you will be glorified in this earth and that the knowledge of your glory can cover Minneapolis-St. Paul like water covers the sea. People will become knowledgeable of God's glory, God's fame, God's credit, God's goodness. It can happen. It will happen, Lord. This is not just about attending meetings and believing in something. We're going to glorify Your name in all the earth, God. We're going to make You look good. We're going to, be, we're going to make You famous, God, for what You're really like. Turn things around, God, and may it be said of church that they really look like God, that they really glorify their God, that they really smell like God rather than just attend and believe. Thank You, Lord, because of Your power and grace, we can do that. Everybody say, I receive Your grace to glorify Your name. Amen.